0: on top of breastfeeding on top of recovering from birth on top of like almost going bankrupt and things like that. Just, and then having to re-edit my book right after
1: that. So no excuses, people. <laughs> your photo, the photo of you with the, the computer balancing on your pregnant belly is my no excuses photo. <laughs> like I'm going to share that with every client I ever work with. Oh, Actually, you're behind on the Let me show you this. That could be your business card. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi there, writers. On today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I interview Caitlin Crosby. You might know of Caitlin already as the founder of The Giving Keys, but Caitlin is an actress, singer, songwriter, and entrepreneur who knows a thing or two about inspiring others. Maybe she's even already inspired you. I know she's done the same for me and so many people. That I know over the course of Caitlin's career, she's accomplished more than most people accomplish in a lifetime. She started the love your flaws campaign, which was inspired by the quote unquote perfect bodies of Hollywood because she really wanted people to learn how to love all parts of themselves. She also started The Giving Keys, which employs those who are transitioning out of homelessness to make jewelry out of repurposed keys. And I'm not going to get into the whole story of The Giving Keys on today's episode because basically Caitlin has shared this story a thousand times other places. So if you don't know about The Giving Keys, check out the links that I put in our show notes to her TED Talks where she tells the whole story from start to finish. But mostly what you need to know is that the Giving Keys has employed 28 people who have struggled with homelessness, helped 22 move into permanent housing, and collected thousands of pay-it-forward stories. Today, they have over 50 employees, and their products are sold at Nordstrom, Anthropologie, Fred Siegel, Kitson, and nearly 2,000 other retail stores around the world. Caitlin and the Giving Keys have been featured all over the place ABC World News with Diane Sawyer, The Today Show, People Magazine, Huffington Post, Cosmopolitan, Ellen, Oprah. It goes on and on and on. You can see why I said what I did about Caitlin's resume. On today's episode, Caitlin and I talk about what it means to find your voice, obviously, as we always do. But this conversation leads us down a path of the challenges of business ownership, balancing work and family, discovering what's really important to you, and, of course, Caitlin's journey to include her entire life story in a book, which our team helped her with. Caitlin shares, vulnerably as always, about her own journey with body image, including some details she's not shared widely before, and she talks about how she's learned to embrace her so-called flaws as a way to inspire others. You are going to love this conversation with Caitlin as much as I did, I know. So without any further ado, let's dive right in. Hi, Caitlin. Hello. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be talking to you. I love it. Well, the first question that I ask at the beginning of all of these interviews, our listeners know it very well by now, is what does it mean to you to find your voice?
0: Ooh, good question. I think to me it means there's all these things inside of you that is like, you know, bubbling and that you're maybe feeling deep, 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 deep down and things that you think or revelations that you have deep, deep, deep down. And just because of the, the, the fast pace of life and distractions and priorities and, and things and responsibilities, it's like oftentimes those, that voice and those opinions and those thoughts and those revelations get buried and you don't even know what they are because you can't feel them. It's too hard to slow down to feel them. So I think taking the time to slow down, let yourself feel those things and realize the wisdom that you have inside of yourself and realize those revelations and then, you know, and then openly share those things and shout them from the rooftops or make an Instagram post about it or write a book about it or write a song about it or just tell a member about it.
1: I love that. I love that idea that there's this buried wisdom inside of all of us. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you've done? Because I know externally, you're a person who has done an incredible job of expressing yourself. And we could talk about all the various ways that you've done that. We obviously will get to talking about your book, which is out. And you're you're also a person who I admire on Instagram for always being the one to cut through the noise and tell it like it is. And (laughs) you have a podcast with Allie Trowbridge and you started this love your flaws movement. And there are all these different ways that you do that. But I'm curious, like how have you over time understood this concept that there's a buried wisdom inside of you? And then how have you gained the courage to share that with the world? Hmm. Well, I have always feel full of
0: ideas and growing up doing entertainment and music, like you always had, you had to write songs. I had to write songs every day to turn them in. So that was at that time, a easy place to really like feel all your feelings and express everything because I had to to pay my rent basically. But then moving on later in life when I didn't have to do that anymore, I felt like I just had a lot of pent-up energy and anxiety and stress and I didn't even know what I was feeling because I was just going, going, go, 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 a thousand emails, a thousand responsibilities. And I think one day um, Mike Foster, he has a, a podcast called Fun Therapy and mm. came to my office one day, and he asked if I would do his his podcast, and I said yes. And so I did it, and I basically just cried the whole time. And <laughs>
1: <laughs> nothing like doing a, a podcast with—he's not your therapist, but like your therapist basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And I just opened up about my deepest, darkest secrets about like breast issues that I've had my whole life, and that I had still like really been. Struggling with about deformities in my body and scars and this and that. And, you know, he's this man, male, and we're sitting in my car and I'm bawling being recorded about my boobs. So, so anyway, that came out and I got an overwhelming response. So I was like, maybe I should really talk about this publicly and the publisher, my publisher, um, reached out and she was like, I really still think you should do a book. This would be a great chapter or a great kind of mm-hmm. thing throughout. And I was like, really? Okay. And I felt like I had a lot of healing to do about these issues in myself and which led me to believe that other people also had issues within themselves that they needed healing from as well. And just because I saw such a, a, an intense response from sharing that on on that particular podcast. Anyway, so this book is a really a way of putting all that on paper and forcing myself to find healing. And I remember you told me, and this was really, really helpful. I think I said something along the lines of, like, I don't really have the healing part yet. I know at the end of this book, I need to say, yeah. like, and this is what I've learned from it. And now I'm healed. Yeah. I don't feel healed yet. And I remember you said something along the lines of authors often feel that way. And oftentimes writing a book is like what will like it kind of forces you to find yeah. healing at the end. And so I set up a therapy session, a real therapy session with an old therapist. And I went and, you know, kind of re-really end the, the book, as you know, because you helped me write it, um, mm-hmm. but really end the book with talking through that entire session. And honestly, every single time I edited that chapter, I had to read it Every time I read it, I was getting more and more and more. Healing from it, and I was like, I'm so excited for people to read this because I know that they're gonna, they're gonna get healing for themselves because I keep getting yeah. healing from it.
1: It's so amazing how you can get healing from your own words on the page. I mm-hmm. think, yeah, yeah. So it sounds like the progression for you was a little bit like, and you can edit this or or add on if if I'm wrong, but a little bit like. You kind of took a risk to talk about something that felt really vulnerable for you. You weren't sure how it was going to go. You got this response from people who were listening in or paying attention who were like, you're not alone. I understand. I feel you. That gave you a little bit of courage and motivation to keep on sharing from that same part of your story. Then you get another wink of affirmation from an editor or a publisher who reaches out who's like, hey, would you tell this story in the format of a book? And then you take another leap of faith and start writing the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I want to get into like the details of the book and have you talk about some of the stories that you tell because it's just, you do such a good job. It's a, You have such a compelling way of talking about life in a way that's really real and relatable and funny and fun and lighthearted and all of those things and also has a lesson attached. But before we get there, I know... A lot of people who are listening have probably already heard the story of what made you decide to start Giving Keys. And if not, I'm going to link to your two TED Talks in the show notes so that people can go watch those. But I'd love to have you talk a little bit about what business ownership, what role that has played in helping you find your voice or how have you needed to find your voice in order to be the owner of a business?
0: Oh, such a good question. Honestly, that was and is something I continue to work through because I, As an Enneagram 2, I hmm. unfortunately just am a people pleaser and always want to make everybody happy. And so a lot of the times when I felt something needed to happen within my own business that was my own baby, I would still let other people kind of – I would be so easily swayed by them or I I, I didn't feel confident enough in, in, in the moment to stand up and say, no, I disagree and I think you should do it this way or that way or whatever – and i kind of yeah so that's something that i think i've gotten a little bit better at but it is still something that i have to be intentional about standing up for what you what your knower deep down is saying like listening to your gut listening to as we say in chapter yeah. 3 is called the pisometer and re- and the piece-o-meter to me is all about listening to the inner voice whether you want to call it god or the universe or your knower or a woman's intuition or you know, all, all those things and listening to that thing and letting that bubble, bubble out into speaking your truth. And oftentimes I think I, you know, I, I, I would feel it strongly, but I, I wouldn't have the courage to speak it. So I've been saying that serenity prayer a lot lately, which is grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. So, mm. so I, that's actually been something I've been thinking about as far as thinking about courage to change the things I can and having to do things, say things, make hard decisions, using your voice, using your inner wisdom to make the best decisions but stand up and and to do it even if you know someone else isn't going to like it or isn't, doesn't want to hear it.
1: Yeah. It can be so challenging to do that. I'm. I'd love to have you talk about like what – you talked about people-pleasing a little bit, but are there other – obstacles that get in the way of people acting on those gut instincts, the intuition, the inner knowing that there's a certain direction we're supposed to go or a decision we're supposed to make. What keeps us from making those choices? And I mean people pleasing is sure for sure part of it, but talk a little bit more about that and what what is it about making people happy that why do, why would we pick that over <laughs> following our path? <laughs> I love that.
0: Gosh, that That makes it sound so black and white. Like, why would you pick? Why would yeah? Why would you choose that? Oof. I think. I think it depends, kind of, the way that you were raised and kind of how you naturally kind of like, who are, are built. And I think, unfortunately, I was built in this way. That's that I always have felt like I lean in that direction. So I think, but some people I don't think are really built that way. Some people I think are very like, outspoken and, like, my way or the highway and just, like, I don't know if it's the number order they were in the family or what their parents did for a living, how their parents raised them, but I feel like a lot of times it really is, like, this feeling that's, like, a natural reaction that feels sometimes overpowering and, like, like, because that feeling inside of me sometimes really does feel like it's paralyzing, like, debilitating. Sure. Because there was, Yeah.
1: So it's a survival instinct in some ways, you know, to sort of like stay a part of the community, stay connected to the people who can help us with our survival. Yeah. I think it's a very, there's a very primal part of our brain that tells us like, don't disconnect from the tribe. <laughs> don't make everybody angry at you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think you're right though, that that some people don't struggle with it as much as others. But I also think that I would argue the majority of us really do have a hard time hearing discerning knowing and following the sound of our own voice is how I would say mm-hmm. it but that just this that what you're talking about the inner knowing yeah. what to do next and and I also think that women have a particularly challenging time with this for all kinds of cultural reasons you have a quote that says there are locks all around you and maybe you hold the key to someone else's freedom can you tell me what you mean by that
0: yeah. I really believe, you know, especially first when I started the giving keys and I was really in this headspace of training myself and all of our cons- customers to keep their eyes open for all the people that were hurting around them so they can pass on their keys to them. And so I I, I really was in that kind of season where everywhere I went, whether it's the coffee shop or someone walking down the street or wherever where I was like, "Oh, they look like they're hurting. I should go talk to them. Let's start a Mm conversation with them or, well, you know, and I think, and I realized that there were all these opportunities to, I don't want to say it sounds so kind of trite to say like help people because I need help too. We all need help. We're all humans. So it wasn't, which I talk also about in the book, Like I don't want to save your complex. And I think it's easy to kind of get, go there, especially when you have a give back brand and you're quote unquote, helping a lot of people. But Will you restate the question?
1: <laughs> yeah. I just, w- the quote that you, oh, that yeah. I found, yeah, it was about <laughs> there are locks all around you maybe hold the key to someone else's freedom. Yes.
0: So I think, I think there's just so many opportunities for people to use their gifts, whether it's their words to encourage someone, to ask, just ask someone how they're doing, to really train yourself, to see all the the, the locks, the open doors, the opportunities The missed opportunities, or the career paths, or the conversations, or the people they're supposed to connect with—to you know, there's just so many things that we can easily miss by rushing through our lives.
1: It's so true, and it makes me think of the story that you tell at the toward the beginning of your book, where you're talking about starting Giving Keys, the couple that you met who were homeless, and you felt that inner knowing, that intuition to go up and talk to them. And you weren't even really sure why you didn't know what was going to happen, but you just walked up to them and you started a conversation and you really started a friendship with them and took them to dinner. Right. Is, Mm -hmm. and then, and then that impulse that you had is what grew into the company of the giving keys.
0: Yeah. It's so true.
1: There's something about that, about, you know, and you talked about how you're particular wiring or personality type or whatever, maybe prevents you from being really aggressive with your opinion in a meeting or something. But it also is what created the work that you do right now with the giving keys, you know, (laughs) such a deep compassion that you have for people. Yeah. Let's turn to talking about the book a little bit. Why don't you tell us, first of all, what made you want to write a book other than your editor reaching out to you and saying, hey, could you put this that we, I think this story would make a great book.
0: Yeah. For a long time, you know, when I would speak at different events, people would always come up to me and say, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And I would always say, oh, yeah, I don't really have time for that right now. Uh, or, <laughs> or things like, I don't really like reading books, uh, much less <laughs> writing them. I don't know how to write a book. That sounds extremely overwhelming because I can't even get to the thousands of emails in my inbox right now, much less write a book. But it was always, you know, it was always there, kind of looming. Like I'm sure I'll get to that one day, and then it just finally clicked once I I, I talked to um, my editor Stephanie Smith, who I love. She's fantastic. Yes, at Zondervan Harper Collins, and and she was like, you know, you don't have to do it all yourself. You know, you can have someone that can help. You know, I can help you. And there's this there's this woman, Ally, who's just. Great. And she can help help you with everything from an outline <laughs> to the book in the, in the day that you do, which I think is brilliant and helps so much and all the incredible things that you helped add. So that I think once I knew that I could get some support, that helped me want to dive in because I think I also needed a little break from the grind of the giving keys that I was in in the way that
1: I was doing it. Sure. And this is a it's a different way to deliver a similar message to what you were delivering a book is. Yeah. But you're right that a book takes tons of time and energy on the part of an author. In fact, I would say no matter how much support we provide with our team, there's no getting around the fact that you have to be fairly invested in the process. So how did that part of it go for you how did you're you're a full-time business owner you're uh, you know i don't know full-time doesn't even really do it justice you're a business owner around the clock all the time on the clock you're a mother of two you have a thousand things going on all the time you're very social you, I don't know. I mean, we could add a, an, a bunch of other things to the list, but even just that, it's you've got a packed schedule. How did you find time to do this? How did you, what m- motivated you along the way? <laughs>
0: this is one of our favorite, my favorite little conversations we had or texts we had throughout the process of writing and editing uh, was that I always thought, like, when I get around to writing a book one day, I'm going to take some time off and, uh, you know, maybe go <laughs> to like a cafe in a, a in, in a different city, maybe even a different country, and just sit (laughs) on rocks and look at it lakes, you know, or (laughs) trees and looking at the brooks and the thing, you know, like I have this whole vision of like what writing a book would look like. And I had had friends like Allie, who I host my podcast with, she, you know, she wrote her book and she was in France and she was like in Paris. And she's like, and then I went... And I I, I went uh, with sharks and we did like shark, uh, swam with the sharks in a a cage. And then I sat at cafes and worked on my book. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I would like to do too. But no, 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 was not, did not look like that. My writing of the book was tiny, tiny, short periods of time in between naps and emails that were scheduled, zero sexiness, zero peace, zero beautiful scenery, (laughs) I did some of it on a bathroom floor. I did it in my car, voice memoed, I in the, my back little like guest little guest room house office that's like random, like a mo- hodgepodge of just things that we didn't want in our house is back here, and a thousand degrees and smells weird. And um, <laughs> and I, and then I was pregnant, and I was pregnant, and I turned it in right before I gave birth. And right before I remember, I yeah and i remember i sent a picture to you like i was so tired and huge and swollen and exhausted from like taking care of a toddler and a company having to write being so tired like at night after i put the toddler down to sleep like all i wanted to do was just like watch tv That's all i wanted to do but you can't you can't you have to you know you have to i sent you a picture of, of myself like yeah. swollen with my feet on top of a lot of pillows and then my my laptop on top of my very pregnant belly and trying to get comfortable to write and taking any minute that you have to do it. I have a friend who wants to write a book and and a lot of friends that, that want to write a book and they're like, oh, I can't find the time or or whatever. And if you don't make it, make the time and just do it wherever you are, whatever it is that's going on in your life, you're not going to do it. So I'm kind of grateful that I had a timeline. And I think it was actually due – no, the book was actually due in July, but my baby was due June fifth, so I was like, I can't. I need to finish it before I give birth to this baby. Yeah,
1: I can't, like- you were like, is there any way we could finish it by the end of May? And I'm like, we can. It's going to be fast. Yeah. <laughs> and my favorite yeah. was getting text messages from you with photos. The the one you're talking about totally stands out in my memory of the. The computer like balanced on your pregnant belly. And then also a text message from the bathroom floor one night when you were like in between. I can't remember exactly what was going on. You had one crying bait or one, you had your toddler crying and you were up in the middle of the night and you just were just like, I'm going to grab 45 minutes and get some edits done. Yeah. you yeah. You were definitely very committed to the process. Tell us about the book. What is it about? What do you want readers to know about it? I think
0: the main thing that I want readers to get out of it is for them to not feel alone in their messiness of being a human, all the things that they think are quote unquote quote their flaws and their imperfections, whether it be internal or external, things about themselves that they feel shameful about, whether it's about their personality, about their education, about their Enneagram number, about what they do for a living or don't do for a living, or their body, deformities, scars, all the things. Like I want them to feel not alone in their just humanity and that you can still you can not you can still you can and you should use all of that together and make that into your purpose your thing your your vocation and but not just that I think a lot of people I think there there there's some people that want to start something and want to start a movement and that's great and you can and you you know you you totally can But then there's some people that they don't want that and they, and they want to be a stay at home mom and they just want to be a great mother. And that is awesome. And I think the kind of moral of the story in some ways is that, you know, I had these awesome Oprah high moments, like meeting Oprah and getting affirmation from her that she loves the giving keys and she chose me as blah, blah, blah. And that was a high, but then I went back home to, you know, a challenging marriage situation that was happening at the time. And then one day, fast forward fast forward to, you know, with my son, we were in the front yard looking for snails. And one of my favorite lines in the book that I can't believe the publisher let me keep it in said mm-hmm. something along the lines of, I never knew meeting a slug would bring me more joy than meeting Oprah. Because <laughs> the joy that I had seeing my my son be so happy that I was present with him And the real deep, real joy, sustainable joy, overflowing joy and fullness, like I felt so filled, was 20 million times better than the high I felt from meeting Oprah that just like went away the second I, you know, left. And then it was also mixed with like anxiety and and like all you know a bunch of other not great things so I think at the end of the day what's the most important thing use all of the things that are in you to either yeah make a start a movement or whatever a book or create a, a project or whatever or use it to just let yourself be a, a messy mom because everything that you're going to put into that is going to this child and you're creating a human and that's a bigger movement than anything else.
1: What would you say to someone who's listening, who has heard about you or knows about you, follows you on Instagram and thinks like, well, that's easy for Caitlin Crosby to say because you have this really successful business and you've got these two beautiful kids and your life. I don't think people think your life seems perfect because you do a really great job of being very vulnerable on Instagram, but you do from the outside looking in, I mean, you're you're beautiful, you have a beautiful family, you've got this thriving business, you've got a book that's coming out in the world you've got all this influence and you're you're leaving this imprint on the world and if someone's comparing themselves to you and feeling like you have no idea how hard i have it or how bad my life is or you don't have any clue you know what kind of flaws i'm dealing with what would you say to them i would say two things one i would say some of the hardest things in my life i didn't
0: put in the book like one particular thing about someone in my family uh, that's it's been a huge huge hard thing in my life and I and I and I think a lot of people that I've talked to about it are like oh god I can't even imagine going through that it sounds like hell like torture and that is what it has felt like that that isn't you know like I still have hard things like that but then also the things that still might seem still glamorous and flashy and exciting like having a business or whatever like I think in one of the chapters, it's called Girl Boss in the ER. And it starts by saying, you know, some people think that having your own company is great. You can make your own hours and you don't have to answer to anybody, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> then the whole chapter goes on to say everything that is really challenging about it. And, you know, people that don't have that, don't have collection agencies sending you things about suing you and calls from creditors every single day. The stress, the stress is. I have used this word a lot lately debilitating like I I and I've been in this place right now where it's it's so the stress and the anxiety from the debt that we're in and the lines of credit and the the the, the personal guarantees I had to give you know talking to bankruptcy attorneys and Oh, blah blah blah. The stress of all of those things ha- has been making me feel like I never want to do this again. Even even though I have like vision to want to start companies again, I, it, sometimes I feel like this just this is just so intensely stressful that I feel like I can't. It's taking so much away from my life, trying to be present with my my kids mm. and my husband. That it, you know, it's been really really challenging. So I think. But again, in the book, I always bring it back to everything that I'm learning and the meaning of life. And But yeah, it's definitely not been easy. So I I don't think anybody will read the book and and think that.
1: You have a story that I don't think is in the book because I think it happened after the book was written. In fact, I know it's not in the book. And maybe you don't want to talk about it. But I think if I'm remembering this correctly, you went into labor with your daughter and there was some sort of crisis going on at the business, right? And people were trying to get in touch with you. Yeah. And we were like having contractions. Yeah. Okay, we tell that story. Yeah. I feel like this is the ultimate story to just remind people about the pressures of business ownership that there are of course many perks and benefits to owning a business. And there are also there's also this. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so yeah, I was uh, at Cedar sinai hospital and I was hooked up to the monitors around my belly and they were like, Oh yeah, you're having contractions. And, um, and I was getting pinged from my CFO at the time uh, saying, that you know we were, we're about to go bankrupt we need to you need to call PayPal and get another loan so I did I called I called PayPal from Cedars and
1: just uh, casually between contractions yeah
0: and <laughs> later I, I found out that we had uh, some embezzlement going on in six figures in the six figures range oh, so we're you know still sorting through that now but I mean, I don't know if this is TMI but whatever, but then I think of the stress of all of that was so overwhelming uh, that I yeah, I had a lot of complications. I had a, a V-back which was great. I was happy about that, but then I like couldn't pee for months. Um, just like small that. problems little things like small problems like seven catheters in seven days and then oh learning self catheterize myself five times a day or six times a day around the clock on top of breastfeeding on top of recovering from birth on top of like almost going bankrupt and things like that just and then having to re-edit my book right after that so no excuses people
1: <laughs> your photo, the photo of you with the the computer balancing on your pregnant belly, is my no excuses photo. <laughs> like I'm going to share that with every client I ever work with. Oh, you're behind be right on this. deadline. Let me show you this. That could be your business card. Just kidding. I truly. I mean, I actually thought about it when I was on deadline for my book because the i I wrote the manuscript of my book leading up to the day of my wedding.
0: Wow. So
1: and I. It, I was supposed to write my wedding was in November and I had scheduled all of this time in July to write my book and I had a massive tragedy in my friend group happen in uh, early June, which just completely derailed my my whole summer so July disappeared August disappeared before I know it it's September and i'm I haven't even started the book and mm-hmm. it's due like my wedding is November eighth and I'm like, okay, so I have October is what I have. <laughs> And I just was like, uh, there were so many moments when I'm like, I should just tell them, I'm sorry, I can't get this done before I get married. And I thought of you several times because I'm just like, it's, you, it really is a matter of deciding I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it in this time period and then committing to put in the hours that it takes. Yeah. And I know that, but it is it's inspiring and helpful to watch other people you included to make those same kinds of choices for the sake of getting the message out there. So obviously it's a really important message to you because you've sacrificed so much for it. What, what kind of transformation or change do you hope that a reader has who picks up the book? You talked about wanting them to feel like they're not alone in this flaw that, or, or their perceived flaw that they have. But after they finish reading the book, how do you hope that they're different than they were before they read it? Ooh, Good question.
0: I hope that they love themselves a little bit more, that they give themselves a break, that they would feel healed with the thing that they felt kind of this hidden shame about. They would be able to put into practice some of the tools that I shared, whether it's, um, yeah, there's just a lot of tools that that I shared that I'm I'm really excited for people to try to put into practice and apply it to their lives. So I, I hope that they would just feel a little bit more healed and whole and free with all the things that would kind of oppress them before reading the book.
1: I love that. I watched on Instagram the video of you opening the package of your book for the first time and holding it in your hands. Mm-hmm. And I'd love for you to tell me what that felt like. What, like you you welled up in te- with tears. What, were, what was the emotion that you were feeling?
0: <sighs> like it was so nice to feel... Like okay, this is real. Like, Caitlin, let this sink in, mm. this sink in. Because I think so much of my day is go, 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 go. Take care of these these little humans and take care of all my responsibilities. But it was nice to pause for a minute and just try to feel like gratitude and acceptance and like okay, it's I, I did this. This is real. Like let like don't let this feel surreal. Let this feel real.
1: Yeah and now you get to share it with real readers who are going to have a real experience with it too which yes. is i think the greatest gift of I'm this whole process. So
0: excited for people to read it.
1: And so laugh
0: too. like i think i've you know talked a lot about here you know like the depth and some of the harder and pain points hard pain points and healing and all that but i also think some parts are really really funny so i'm excited for people to read it and laugh and feel you know related with when t- you know talking about Yes. My legs,
1: shaving your toes, plucking your hairs. Finding yeah. spanks in an airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that. <laughs> So many funny stories. Yeah, you've got a really great sense of humor. That comes through very well in the book. Okay, this is our, our final wrap-up question. And it really has to do with this concept on the show. We talk a lot about how words have the power to create positive transformation in our personal lives and in our communities and in the wider world. And I'm curious for you, what kind of impact you hope that your words have in any of those three realms. You can talk about whichever you'd like.
0: I think right now I'm going to focus on in my own home right now, because I I think for, you know, so much of my life, I was always world focused. And Mm -hmm. right now I want to give my kids the same attention that I gave other people. And yeah. I feel like I haven't yet. And that's something that I'm really working on and wanting to sew into more. So yeah, like, you know, maybe when my husband and I right now, my husband does real estate, so he's kind of working from home-ish and And I'm working from home. And so, you know, we're quarantined and we don't have childcare. My little boy doesn't have school. So we're just taking turns working in the back and then watching the kids. And, you know, uh, trying to set aside time to read a book about, like, uh, this one book that I'm reading called No Drama Discipline. Mm. And, like, if I care about my children more than work, then why am I working more than I'm reading about how to mother them properly? Like, (laughs) that.
1: Which, I mean, you mentioned at the beginning of this call, you were like, quarantine for life. This is amazing. (laughs) I'm staying home forever. Oh, I love it. It it has to be a gift this time for you to be able to be home together as a family and really focused on those relationships that you know matter most to you. Oh, yeah.
0: I had such mom guilt for so long, having a nanny and uh, all that. So I'm I'm so happy to be home with them right now. It's been so good for my soul to feel like for me personally and everybody needs different things and all families are different. So zero judgment, but I needed to spend this time with them. And yeah, I never want (laughs) to
1: leave. I love it. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for taking the time today and sharing your wisdom with us. We cannot wait to get a copy of your book in our hands. Um, Everyone who's listening, go right now to wherever you buy books and buy a copy of Caitlin's book called You Are the Key. I know you won't regret it. I've read every word of the book and it's really funny and honest and authentic and you're going to enjoy it as much as I have. So Mm -hmm. go do that right now. And Caitlin, thank you again.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Have a great day. Talk
1: to you soon. Bye everybody. thanks. Thanks for listening to the find your voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.